0: If you would, open up with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 12, Zechariah 12. As uh, y'all are opening up there, uh, by way of introduction, uh, while you're getting to Zechariah 12, um, a question. How have you grown spiritually in the last year? And did you know that you could measure that stuff? Uh, how have you grown spiritually in the last year? Uh, maybe the last two years. Uh, one thing that uh, I said I feel like a lot, uh, maybe y'all don't remember, which it's okay. Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Uh, throughout COVID was that we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't come out of uh, the COVID crisis, though uh, we might be entering back into some form of something regarding that in the fall. We'll see. We continue to pray. But uh, we shouldn't come out uh, the same. But the more I thought about that saying, and I I stand by it, we shouldn't come out of that crisis uh, the same, but but really out of anything the same. Uh, Our lives of faith as we confess in the Lord Jesus should be marked by spiritual growth year over year. Uh, It should be a return on the spiritual investment. And the reason I know that is because God has promised such things. That as we continue in relationship with him, unified, in union with God through Christ, uh, we will then be growing spiritually. So I ask you again, how have you spiritually grown in the last year? Or do you feel like perhaps you've gone the other way? What about the last decade? Or depending on age and confession time, right? The last two decades. If I went to two, I would be a zero year old, right? My confession of faith uh, doesn't go two decades yet. But I know many of you whose confessions go much longer. What is your spiritual growth? Where is it at? Uh, As we go to the Lord's word here in Zechariah 12, uh, at first glance... You might not think, oh, of course, he got that question from this word. But as we begin to think about how this growth occurs, this word and that question are most intimately connected. Our main point this morning is as follows God empowers his people, which allows true spiritual movement on earth in our lives and otherwise. God himself empowers his people. Let's pray. We're going to go to the word after that. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you bless the reading of this word. The word that, uh, Lord, we we see from your word uh, is the sword in hand of the Holy Spirit. And that he uses such words to divide even between bone and marrow. He pierces us with the surgeon's scalpel and does spiritual surgery on our very souls. God, would you do it with this word, Zechariah chapter 12. Would we be convicted of our sins? And would we be comforted in the gospel of Jesus? And as that these things swirl and collide, Lord, would we praise you all the more for your work of empowering in our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Zechariah chapter 12 starting with verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone For all the peoples, all who lift it, will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic, and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves. And they shall devour to the right and to the left, All the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first. That the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. As we told the children, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, it stands forever. And it is for our good and it is for God's glory. Our main point that we will see this morning is that God is going about a work of empowering his people, which allows for spiritual movement to happen on earth. We'll get there with three points beginning with P, because that's just what I wanted to do. (laughs) Number one, posture. Number two, presence. And number three, participation. First then, God empowers his people in posture. Verses 1 through 5 of our text. In order to empower, if you are going to empower somebody, you must be one who houses power to begin with. In order to empower, to bestow power, you must be powerful. In other words, it's empty words that carry no weight or meaning. Verse 1, speaks of the Lord. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Who is this Lord that is giving us a word? Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens, founded the earth, and formed the spirit of man within him. The one speaking and addressing his people here is the creator of the universe, the maker of earth, and the fashioner of our very souls. This powerful one then. The Lord himself goes about the work of empowering his people, here in verses one through five especially, into a defensive posture that cannot be moved even when the world tries. In the history of God's people, there have always been those that would hinder, hurt, or otherwise halt the spiritual movement that God asks of us. Here are some good examples of that. Our faithfulness, our training up of our own, and the helping of others to see the truths of God. This is exactly what the Lord is addressing as he empowers his people with an immovable posture. Uh, If you wanted to think about it, we've got a really great example from the word that we're about to see but you know i i love seeing those martial arts video where the guy's like push me you know and then you push him and he's like ha 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 and then he, like, does the thing, and he's like, now push me, right? And you can't do it. You know, boom, right? It's a good athletic stance, but, you know, the karate guys, it's so cool. I mean, if y'all know what I'm talking about, you know. If you don't, uh, I guess YouTube it at your own risk. I don't know what you'll find. Uh, but but it, it, it's, a, it's a posture, a defensive posture that the Lord is granting. And we see it in quick, con- uh, 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 and, and kind of building uh, a movement through verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Verse 2. The Jerusalem and Judah are being sieged. Do you see it? Uh, the, the ones being sieged are God's people. Jerusalem and Judah. This small area that's that uh, has all of these enemies coming against them in siege fashion. In other words, we are so big, we are so powerful, that we don't need to go in and waste our own lives, the old warriors' lives. We'll just siege you, starve you out, and let you come out weak sad scared and defeated we're going to siege you all right and so in verse 2 though jerusalem and judah are the ones being sieged the ones staggered are not jerusalem and judah but the ones doing the sieging Verse three, the reason why this is the case is because God's power flowing through his people has created an immovable object for God's enemies. Uh, You see here a great example, a heavy stone. You say, I I got that stone. I got this, right? And just like me moving furniture, if we're gonna move or something like that, I pick it up, hurt my back and have to go lay down, right? Can't be done. I feel like every time I've got to move something heavy, boom, down right this rock cannot be moved the hebrew connotation literally is like if you pick it up you're going to hurt your back and that's it boom oh i tried and i failed right uh, uh it's like you know the good myth you know the old legend the good story a uh, uh, king arthur uh, pulling excalibur from the stone it cannot be done right It uh, can't be done except by that one worthy person and so everybody who tries ah oh, you know just won't doesn't work doesn't matter brawn or brain this rock cannot be moved. That's what verse 3 shows us. And then in verse 4, we get this add-on. So not only is God going to cause staggering, as these people are, these enemies are going to try to siege God's people. Uh, God himself is going to, going to, as it were, create a rock so heavy that when they begin the siege, they hurt themselves. And, and on top of that then... While this is going on, this defensive posture turns into an offensive one through the Lord. Because we see in verse 4 that justice is not blind, but rather meted out against those deserving of punishment. God says something very peculiar here. I'm going to keep my eyes open. My eyes will be open that I might mete out justice on those deserving of it. Because of those things then, a confession rises up anew that God empowers his people with a strength of posture immovable by the world. Verse 5, then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God let's keep going though before we get to some application second god empowers his people in presence so not only are we empowered in this posture standing but there's a presence here that we see in verse six and here's the question i have that's going to help you connect to this word how's your dryer vent how's your dryer vent when's the last time you've thought about your dryer vent do y'all know what i'm talking about yet uh, you know, there's a dryer. Uh, Rebecca and I, when we first moved to Columbia, um, uh, our duplex was uh, exactly what you think a newlywed couple might procure and have. Uh, it was it was uh, very old, uh, and we had a very old dryer, and the uh, the piping for the dryer, the vent itself, was very old, uh, and perhaps had previous owners lint, etc kind of clogging and beginning to block uh, that vent and as I noticed our our clothes were not necessarily drying as much as I wanted them to and I was praying unto the Lord that we were not going to have to buy another dryer that we could not afford at that time I thought Lord please let it be a vent block if y'all know what I'm talking about, you open up this thing, maybe under your house or you know wherever you go, you pop this thing off, and then you see it, right? Uh, the biggest, you know, this hugest, just giant clump of lint, and you think, whoa, you know, what is this thing? And you get it out, and the dryer works great, God willing, unless you have something worse that's wrong how's your dryer vent well the reason why I bring that up is because not only does it prevent your dryer from working so well but it is a huge fire hazard Uh, I have only done this once I will not recommend this Uh, lint dryer lint is incredibly flammable uh, to the point that you think it's gonna be funny when you light it up and it's not Uh, that stuff lights up And the bigger it gets, and the more it gets, one little spark, because it's so dry, because it's in the dryer, right? It's not wet, it's dry, it's lint, poof. Lights the house up, right? You talk to firefighters, you see this all the time. Lint in the dryer can cause a fire. It is highly flammable. Now, now that we've addressed your dryer vent, and some of you are thinking, I need to check that. Um, How's your conversation, here's my segue. How's your conversation with family on Thanksgiving? Um, Before you wonder, how's my dryer vent got anything to do with my conversation with family on Thanksgiving? Uh, Verse 6 does. Verse 6 of our text. Because uh, what we see here is that the Christian, the confessor of the Lord Jesus, is like lint. Dryer lint. That flammable. And... You know, in in the USA especially, what don't you talk about around the Thanksgiving table with your extended family? You don't talk about money, you don't talk about politics, and you don't talk about religion right? Uh, Don't do it. Don't bring it up. And I'm telling you that that's the world's lie. And it's the biggest lie. And it's the silliest lie because of all the people in the world you care the most about, it's your family. And if you are unwilling to be that lit up dryer lit with your own family, uh, I can tell you exactly what you're doing at work with your friend group and with everybody else in your life. You're unlit and you're waiting to be lit up by the Holy Spirit still period. The reality is, is that what we see here in verse 6 is that God empowers his people with a presence that cannot only not be denied, but of necessity consumes those around them. It's not a pastor thing. It's not a Puritan thing. It's not a Reformed thing. It is a Bible-believing Christian thing that when the Holy Spirit does a work in a person, that person cannot help but speak of the work that has been done in them by God Himself. It is that momentous, and there is no denying it wherever you might find yourself. And when we, as Christians, recede from that or retreat from that, we should not be surprised when our discontent, our joylessness, our spiritual depression, our spiritual growth, and all of those other things, up to and including patience uh, um, uh, in dealing with regular situations uh, and the maneuvering of the world in general, all all of these things begin to suffer and tank when we act like somebody that we're not, like unbelievers in the world. Verse six: "On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves." Uh, sheaves is a good example if you know this, but it's the same thing as dryer land, truly you put a torch on sheaves, dried out, gone. It lights up. And they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place. In Jerusalem, like I said, we're going to hit this application when we keep uh, when we finish up. But let's keep going as we see that God not only empowers His people in posture, that there's not only an undeniable presence, but then we see that God empowers His people in His own participation in this world. Verses seven, eight, and nine. As some of you know, maybe some of you don't. I used to be the middle school retreat director for our local presbytery. We'd go up to the, our campground, Bon Clark, and y'all know, uh, the majority of y'all do at least, uh, and, and we would kind of work through all these different things. Lovely weekend retreats where uh, we would have a minister or, or somebody else qualify, proclaim the Word of God, uh, help our students understand the gospel. It's a sweet moment of togetherness for uh, our, our middle schoolers, in this case, uh, being with other middle schoolers their age, kind of up together in our denomination. Well. The retreat logistics, as a, as a director, consisted of quite a few things. One of them was the creation and the institution of large group games that we played on Saturday nights. Um, myself and uh, uh, one of my partners in crime, as we became known, uh, were not famous but infamous at the end of our tenure for our large group games. I'm unsure what this says about me. But here, I have it listed so I don't mess it up. Uh, We had several of our games banned from not only the retreats, but also Bon Clarkin. Uh, So these games can't be played there anymore. I'm not sure who would want to, but uh, by far, uh, the biggest, kind of the two two largest uh, uh, ones here uh, are um, posthumously named, because they can't be played anymore, a super mega death ball, and uh, also rivaled by its close cousin, super mega death volleyball. Uh, so, we got banned for Super Mega Death Ball. We thought, well, let's just take it to the old gym, and we'll play Super Mega Death Volleyball. Um, so, um, uh, basically, a combination of darkness, six-foot inflatable balls, limited uh, limited rule sets, and unclear explanations uh, essentially led to general chaos that, I have to admit, uh, the middle schoolers, they, I mean, they like. You know what I mean? Uh, middle schoolers generally thought that was pretty cool, but... led to a few injuries. And so we weren't really allowed to do those things anymore as the injuries began to stack up. Uh, What we found, myself and my partner in crime, as we were doing these things, what we found was that the majority of the injuries came uh, when a youth leader, in other words, an adult, began to participate. And as youth leaders, entered the fray. So then injuries rose. Uh, Not because of any malice, but because of pure physicality. Uh, You know, you see me, uh, 225 pounds of force moving towards a 50 pound force of a sixth grader. Boom, done, right? You know, it's just, it's over, right? Uh, And so uh, what we see in this example, and stick with me on this one, I think it's going to stick, I hope, Um, it's, it's easy to see, uh, with this kind of illustration, the bigger, stronger person when we think physically, right? Uh, but but the, Lord, the Lord does something here in these verses. Um, he does this throughout all of Scripture. The best example is David and Goliath, right? Physicality, you're like, oh, Goliath's got it. Uh, but, but if you recall what David said, the point of that text, remember, it's not... Uh, It's not, let's be courageous, like we hear sometimes. If you recall David's furious words to the army of Israel, what did he say? The Lord is on our side. I'll go out. I'll go. Because the Lord is on. It's not with spears or with swords that we're going to win this. It's with the Lord himself right? Uh, David, this youth, this zealous youth for the Lord. And what does God do? He blesses it. And the, the same thing happens here in verses 7, 8, and 9, as we begin to see uh, um, uh, a reality bear out. It, it's not that, that God only empowers his people by giving them an immovable posture, Uh, and an undeniable presence. He does that. But he also empowers his people by his own participation. God enters, as it were, and participates in the middle school group game. And immediately, the tides turn to the favor of those on his team. As God formally enters in, he does three things. and We see this in 7, 8, and 9. Verse 7, he gives salvation. Verse 8, he protects. And verse 9, he destroys all of his peoples, of our enemies. God empowers his people by reminding them that he is actively participating in the events of the world. Which allows true spiritual movement on earth to take place. Okay. Let's let's do one quick application, and then let's finish this up as we see how the gospel bears out from this text. So, uh, becoming an immovable object and a consuming presence for God, it's done by God and not by us. Our difficulty in establishing a strong spiritual posture and presence is that we can't do it. And when we try, we fail. And so as we think about application, we must be wary. This is why we pursue God in his word, in personal reading, in group Bible studies, in the proclamation of the word, which is happening right now, and in prayer, because he has told us, God has explicitly told us that in these means, that is the word, and that is prayer unto him that he will work to create in us the immovable posture and the undeniable presence. What happens is that as we seek to attain this for ourselves, a couple things bear out. Uh, The big word that we use sometimes is legalism or Phariseeism, or you're being puritanical, right? Where you say, oh, uh, well, I read the Bible, you know, for five minutes in the morning, every morning, praise be to God. You say, got you beat. I read it for 30 minutes every morning. I, I have that kind of time. So, say, oh, wow, well, I'm doing it three hours a day. So, say, oh, really? Well, I'm listening to a podcast on the way into work, and not only am I listening to a podcast, but while I'm listening to a podcast in one year, I've also got uh, Love, Love FM playing on the other side. How about that, right? And you might not be competing with your other people. Some people do. But we begin to think that if we could just find the right book, the right book of the Bible, the right Bible verse, the right songs, the right uh, 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 preacher or pastor or something, that if we could just find this thing, that we will become, as it were, the karate master who cannot be moved by the world that we will become, as it were, the one who can stand face to face and be that burning lamp for the Lord on the hill, right? And what we forget about is the Lord. Period. What happens as we seek to take these things up for ourselves and to, and to grab the bulls by the horns, as it were, and to say, I've got this. If I do this, we forget that we must be in a posture of humility to have the immovable posture that God gives. We forget that it is the Lord himself who is the one who does the work over, over seasons and not moments. And that we mustn't measure our spiritual lives by minutes or days, but by years and decades as we get closer and closer to finishing this first part of the race and begin an eternal one with the Lord. To be as practical as possible, ordinarily speaking, I don't, this is not harsh, please don't take it this way. If you are counting your, your word intake and prayer moments in minutes or even hours per week, you shouldn't be surprised at the spiritual disquiet that you are experiencing, which can bleed into grumbling and frustration and joylessness and the like. The ordinary usualness of word and prayer in the Christian life is where God's immovability and his undeniability play it and bear out in a Christian and in a Christian family and in a Christian community. We are not about minutes and hours. We are about life. We are about ones who simply are because of what God has done rather than those who are doing, trying to be who we're supposed to be. We already are who we're supposed to be by the working of God himself. What is adoption? It's God giving you all the stuff already. You've already got it. And so when we try to attain that which we already have, acting like we don't have it, and by kind of stacking and adding up on these things, of course we'll be disquieted and frustrated. Ultimately, what we're talking about here is is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that plays out. Your posture, your immovable stance is is available to you because Jesus Christ had the posture for you. He lived a life undeniably perfect. Even the ones killing him said, this is the Son of God. His posture was that immovable. It wasn't a strength thing. It was a perfection thing and and then he gives that to us that's the good news is that he does this thing and that's not it yet he gives us confers upon us that which we need and and then in that moment you light up and you are an undeniable presence The undeniable presence of a Christian follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is not one marked by arguments, winning arguments for the Lord. Jesus has won the arguments. You don't need to go to battle for the Lord. The Lord is the Lord. He has already gone to battle and won. In fact, promises you that he'll go to battle for you now. We don't need to make a stand on Facebook to think that Christians are going to survive. They've been around. Because God establishes us. And with that immovability gives us an undeniability. It's why the world so desperately tries to remove us from the public sphere. You want to know the last time that I was called to pray for any event or organization in the city of Columbia? Answer, never. The reason why is because if I went out there, if they let me go from here to there, they know what I would pray and say, and that is not good for them. Period. A Bible-believing pastor has no place in the world. But I'm not a part of the world and neither are you. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are sojourners in the field and as we move from here we continue with an undeniability and immovability to share the gospel of grace and humility. We don't have to be uh, militant and mean but gracious and merciful as the Lord was to us and the reason why for thinking about the gospel and fleshing it out here from Zechariah 12 is because the Lord enters the fray. Jesus himself is God himself who took on the likes of human sinful flesh. He became fully God and fully man and in his humanity he participated in the closest way possible to what we are doing by doing the thing. You can't get bigger participation than that. And he did it did it for you and for me. From this gospel God empowers us his people to see true spiritual movement on earth. But, but what we need to realize and it's okay is that that might need to start in ourselves. We might need a spiritual restart and that's okay. It might need to start in our families or in our church. It won't stop there, but it might need to start there. And that's okay. Because the question stands for us and for all who would be listening. Are you seeing true spiritual movement in your life? God's work is tangible enough That you can measure these things. If I were to go home right now, and by home, I mean to Fayetteville, Tennessee. And I were to see those people that knew me when I was 16 years old. They would not know me. I am different. I have matured far beyond that 16 year old boy. And it's not something that I did but that the Lord did. Rebecca and I both can bear testimony to this. Our parents bear witness to this. Our elders bear witness to this. And the same is true for you, dear Christians. If you are believing and confessing and following after the Lord Jesus, it's markedly different year over year. How have you spiritually grown? God's growth in your life will not happen apart from God's word in your life doesn't have to be uh, prescribed i do you know i do 16 chapters a day so i'm going to really really kind of bump that spiritual growth maybe maybe but god's word is how he has said he will work god praying unto the lord is is how he said he was going to work ask and you shall receive the fellowship and the community of believers is how god said he was going to work the communion and sacraments is how god said he is going to work We can rejoice today. Don't be downtrodden if you seek to record your spiritual growth chart and you you see it either going down or static. Rejoice today because you've got eyes to see and ears to hear a God who is not only giving you immovability undeniability, but who is actively participating far beyond anything you could ever imagine as he takes you, grips you, holds you, keeps you, and allows you to grow, not only in the weeks to come, but in the years to come, as we move closer and closer to eternity. That's what this word here is about. It is historical, but there is such a depth of spirituality here that I would hope you would go back and read and that you would see a God who is on the move for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your, for your activeness, for your movement, and for you showing us the Lord Jesus how you get all these things done ultimately. God, give us an eye for such things always, and when we pant for streams of water, even as we are about to sing, Lord, may we always look to you, the giver not only of regular water, but of living water, that goes far beyond and gives us the spiritual growth we so desperately need. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.